It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless I am actually the idiosyncratic female protagonist of a male-written indie comedy drama from the early 2000s. In which case, I'm still your host, Fernanda Prates, in the sense that these are my current identity and occupation, but I'm also not Fernanda Prates in the sense that I'm not really anyone, in the sense that I'm much less a fully formed woman with an internal life of her own than I am a woman-shaped projection of my writer's desires and expectations, Pressed up with surface-level imperfections and quirks, but essentially pure in my intentions and undeterred in my one and only mission to save my male counterpart from himself. Unless, of course, I am actually a fully formed woman with an internal life of her own who happens to be so quirky and imperfect and idiosyncratic that, in an ironic twist of discourse, ends up being victimized by the same fundamentally misogynistic tropes that her critics were originally trying to free her from. Quite a pickle, I know. But thankfully, none of us need to worry too much about any of that now. Whether I am an idealized, unrealistic, and reductive portrayal of an archetype-defying woman, or an actual archetype-defying woman ultimately reduced to an idealized and unrealistic portrayal, what matters is that I am here today, perfectly ready and willing to serve as a mere prop in your own narrative arc. And I do it with a smile on my face. Or at least a low-spirited but well-meaning grin, because who the fuck smiles in 2021? Psychopaths, YouTube fitness instructors, and people who video call without a preemptive text. That's who. Take a look around and reassess whatever happiness you think you've managed to gather for yourself. Fuck out of here with that fucking smiling nonsense. But anyway, where was I? Oh yes, today. Today is a thing that is happening and I am not only here happening right along with it, but I'm also adding to the happening of the day by bringing in another thing that is happening or shall I say another person that is happening. As you can see, I totally got lost in that one, but you got my point. And that is that, yes, we do have another very special guest in our midst today. I'm pleased to announce that I am joined by MMA Twitter personality and MMA podcaster extraordinaire, Juice Jackson. Juice is one of the co-hosts of the Friendly Sparring Podcast, but you might also know him as that one guy who keeps saying positive and encouraging things and interacting with even the saddest, most flopped of your tweets. He also sings and knows Spanish and acts. And when I asked him how he would like to be introduced on the show today, he said, as a podcaster and a somewhat decent human being, which is just adorable. Granted, 
That was after he said he would like to be introduced as a philanthropic Academy Award hopeful who is also a strong advocate for mental health. But still, he's still a much better all-around human than I am, is what I'm getting at. In any case, here's our chat. Enjoy it or don't. Use me as a prop to further your character development or don't. We're all prisoners of an exploitative system that has doomed us and our planet to extinction anyway. I was going to start today's episode. uh, I was going to sing the intro to this episode as an homage to my guest. But then I was like, you know what? I don't think my listeners love me enough. (laughs) I don't think we're ready to take that step in our relationship yet. So unfortunately, you only get a boring uh, spoken word intro. Welcome to the podcast, Juice. Thank you so much. My my heart, my heart is singing just hearing that. Just know that I'm ready, even if they're not. Okay, I'm singing on the inside. Yeah, and I'm yeah, singing. We're, we're both singing like, internally. I'm going all out. Whitney. Yeah, I was really singing Whitney just five minutes ago. You're in my head. Well, really, see. We're off to a great start. I'm feeling a little bit of pressure today. I'm not going to lie because I know you listen to like every episode. So you know if this one sucks. Like you have <laughs> Believe me, if this episode sucks, it'll be because of me. You are always phenomenal, oh. as are your guests. So I imagine I will at least rise to the occasion. Um, I would like to thank the um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation for, for bringing me on today. <laughs> I literally, you know, in keeping with the theme of, of your work, I was, you know, my imposter syndrome was rearing its ugly head a few hours ago. And I'm yeah. like, you know, comparing myself to the the Titans that have been on the show, you know, Sean O'Shaughty, mm. Esther Lynch, Ed Dundas, Ben Folks on the previous show. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should just like impersonate some, some past guests. That'll be, that'll be my ticket. In. You're, you're right along what you're right up there with them, except for, for Ben, he's lower than ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I say- love Ben folks. Love that for me. I love Ben. I always like trash him a little bit just cause it's like, uh, our like you gotta little take thing. His on a peg. I like, to, I like to think that he's like my older brother that I never had. Um, though he would reject that notion and he doesn't listen to my shows, so he'll never know. But of course, this is just how we, how we, um, how we roll here. You've, you've, you've heard, I think you've probably yes. heard every single one of my episodes. No, or like, the vast majority. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I started listening to, well, actually it was the episode. I want to say it was around 10 or 11 mm. was when you right after the Nick Diaz interview with Ariel Hawani. Okay. Yeah. And I was just completely engaged. And then I went back and listened to everything and I haven't missed a show since. That's this. I I'm flattered and alarmed. Like it freaks me. <laughs> I don't know what that says about you, Juice. It's highly suspicious that you listen. <laughs> to me it means so that I <laughs> enjoy great content and that I uh, like to fill my my ears and, and my soul with, with oh, wholesome beautiful. content from intelligent, engaging people. Oh, I'll take it. And I'll take it on behalf of my guests who are also very weird because they're like, sure, I'll do your show. Um, I, I'll yeah. never understand that. Like, don't you have better things to do with your time? But okay, uh, I don't think we do now. I think everybody's really bored. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes your guests will come on and say, but baby, you'll never close the cabinets. A <laughs> uh, little, little dig at boo-boo. We love you, boo-boo. Uh, <laughs> boo-boo's not even here listening today. He usually is, uh, but he's actually doing this other show, like a uh, oh. participate. But then he another left me with show? the- Wow. Yeah. He betrayed me horribly. And then like he's <laughs> doing it at Starbucks. 
and he left me the setup. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that's 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 marriage. That's compromise. It's his computer. His and that's the thing. It should be compromised, but I don't compromise anything. <laughs> he compromises. <laughs> I assume it must have been in your prenup <laughs> that if there's ever a conflict, he has to go to Starbucks. Yes. Uh, no, it was not, but uh, it was unspoken. Uh, he just agreed. And in exchange, he gets to hang out with me all the time. So Seems like wins. a pretty sweet deal, not going to lie. Uh, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't even... Usually, like I have a tighter script, but I was like, you know what? I feel like we don't need that today. So we're just going to wing it. Uh, so no. if it sucks, that's what why. <laughs> it's an experiment. I'm happy to be a guinea pig. You are going to be my guinea pig. And I love that for us. Yeah, I'm very bad at improvising. So, and that's the thing. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, but you, you don't seem nervous. And I'm like, I'm an over-preparer. I need to really like have a lot of studying and like thinking done before I do anything. Like I wouldn't do an entire show very high. Like some people that I know just did <laughs> just this week. Not going to oh, name I, names. I did not think you listened to that. <laughs> I did not. Uh, it was a very long episode say, though. Oh, it was very long. <laughs> it was like more than yeah. two hours. Yeah. Two hours and 42 minutes. Uh, roughly. That is insane. <laughs> that is an insane amount of content. Well, it's, you know, now that I've done, we started, um, you know, connecting when I had my old show fighting with myself mm -hmm. and, uh, I actually quite frequently would do three hour episodes on that show as well. Yeah. Um, because I found that I can, I can talk to myself for quite a long time. <laughs> Thank you. Mental illness. Um, but <laughs> I actually stopped. It's a, <laughs> a privilege and a curse. <laughs> I know. Right. You're telling me, um, but I, I found myself being like, I don't know, jaded and and disillusioned with the state of MMA for a while that I left and mm -hmm. and did like a, th a theater podcast for a while. But I came back because I wanted to talk about MMA, but I didn't want to do it with just myself. And I brought my co-host, who's my best friend in the world. Uh, we've known each other for over 10 years, mm -hmm. um, Leo. And I could talk to you. We could have done five hours, to be honest, but uh, those, uh, the edibles were, were hitting me. So my God, I, I can't, little secret. I cannot do edibles. I did no like, one can. dude, I'm so, honestly like two weeks ago and dear listeners do not think less of me. I, I don't think, I don't know how you could, but I had like, we got this brownie and I had like a little bit of it. Um, like a little, I'm, I mean, literally a bite. It wasn't even like, cause I know I'm not good with it. So I'm not, I wasn't being stupid about it. And it took me like an hour when it hit me, I was in horrible shape. I spent like three hours watching just Doja Cat videos because it was the only thing my brain could like <laughs> sustain. And Rodrigo wasn't home. And then when he got home, like I texted him and I let him know like, hey, I'm going to be pretty fucking weird when you get home. <laughs> this is what's happening. And I was just had like a, like a mix of like Doja Cat shit uh, and Megan Thee Stallion videos going on like on YouTube. And I was just staring at the TV and I was like, I can't remember a single thing that just happened a second ago. Is this going to last forever? And he was like, try not to laugh because it was hilarious and like be <laughs> supportive. Uh, but it's like, no, it's not going to be forever. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it is. Like, this is how I am now. Like, how am I going to live like this? I have no idea. And then, uh, it went away after, I guess, 12 hours. <laughs> <Not even joking. laughs> 
Oh yeah, I remember waking up the next day after I did that episode, still feeling it. It did. They sit with you, it, dude. I was like, I can't. I cannot. I'm generally like not a weed person as a general concept. It does not sit that well with me. I'm more of like a booze girl myself, which is worse <laughs> in many yeah. ways. Uh, but uh, getting back to your podcast and not me being very stupid about substances that aren't entirely legal here in Mexico. Um, <laughs> you talked about having the podcast by yourself and being disillusioned with MMA for a little bit. Why was that? Well, funny enough, and I, sh I shouldn't say funny enough, but it was, it was sort of the timing I was... I had been doing that show for uh, like a year and a half at that point. I started April 2019, and when I took my break, it was October-ish, somewhere around there, of 2020. Okay. And it's so almost exactly a year and a half. It was really like the lead up to the election. Uh, uh, you you know mm -hmm. that MMA is a very right-wing dominated space. No, you don't and say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's maybe 51 right, 49 left. No, it's pretty pretty right wing. And just the vitriol and everything. Like I was mm -hmm. already kind of getting it on the home front, you know, outside of MMA. Uh, and I just was like, no. Plus, you know, I have uh, a lot of interests in life. Mm -hmm. And I find that if I deny those, um, that I'm not being true to myself. And I kind of feel like, I don't know, like I'm being restricted in a way that doesn't really help the creative process. So yeah. uh, like I've been acting since I was eight years old and uh, I wanted to, to try something new and start a theater podcast. Mm -hmm. um, was wildly unsuccessful at that. And uh, once everything kind of died down and Trump lost, yay, uh, MMA got a little better and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to come back. Yeah. Well, MMA got a little better. Let's put air quotes on that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. The the bar is kind of low, but, but by comparison. I get what you're saying because I, I, I felt kind of the same with Bolsonaro in Brazil. Because mm. during the lead up to it all, like it was just unbearable to see the amount of fighters outwardly supporting him. Like, and you couldn't escape it, right? It was everywhere. Like the timeline, like it, it was just, there and at the time I was in a more like in a position that required me to be more I guess hands-on with MMA like follow like now I, I have freedom to do like I just basically write dumb shit like I'm not doing day-to-day -day anymore but I was it's the best yeah you know, it's it's a relief because I get to unfollow people <laughs> and mute them <laughs> like I don't love that for I, I missed uh Victor's Belfort's latest dumb ass shit I don't know if you saw it today his I latest, did not. his newest. Um, yes, he posted. I'm not even sure if it was today. I just saw it today on the Bohashinga Depot account, which is oh, great account, a, a gem. A, uh, seriously, it's art. If you don't follow them, like stop whatever you're doing. Well, finish the podcast, please. We're here. We're yeah, going please. through all this trouble for you, but <laughs> you can do both things at the same time. Um, and he shared this fake post that I think so. Joe Rogan posted it, but I think Joe Rogan posted it understanding that it was satire. But, mm. um, which... <sighs> There's a fine line with Joe Rogan satire. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but it was like a... Uh, like breaking news, a, a fake CNN story thing. Taliban fighters responsibly wearing masks. 
and he posted it's like CNN is praising how responsible the Taliban is wearing masks and oh no uh, <laughs> and Instagram automatically put like one of those little like blurted and like this is fake and for and you know for Instagram oh, yeah. to like go out of its way to just be like this is fucking fake don't click on it it's fake they put in like, the comments are like please we don't like delete this delete this get rid of it and uh he hasn't yet or he hadn't last time i checked a few minutes before we were to um uh, start the show but yeah That's so i so <laughs> i'm laughing uh because it's really sad i'm laughing because i'm crying on the inside um that's just the outward manifestation of my sadness but um uh, yeah i feel like now I'm in a place where I can sort of like stay away from it a little more, but still not entirely. Uh, but with the elections, I get what you're saying. It was a little more, yeah, more intense. But let's go back a little bit because, um, how did first things first, how did MMA come to be in your life? My journey with MMA was a bit interesting. So I grew up in somewhat of a like a martial arts household. Mm. Uh, my dad has a black belt in Taekwondo and uh, competed very like probably in the '60s or so. Um, and when the UFC was like first coming about, I mean, I was three years old when the first event was in Denver. Um, it wasn't something that was ever on in my house, and it was like I don't know if my dad bought into the narrative of like what. What did McCain say? Like human cockfighting or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Was not a fan of it. But uh, in like late into high school slash beginning of college, stumbled upon the greatest show ever made, Bully Beatdown. Uh, I actually loved that show with Jason Mayhem Miller, who uh, took took some turns in his I life. Know. Seems to be doing I better. Like to remember I him. I think Bully Beatdown's like a time capsule. It is. I like to remember him as that guy, a relic of a bygone era. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that show was, was kind of very influential on me, like discovering MMA. And, uh, from then I would kind of, because like I was, I was bullied in high school as I were like most people who aren't like perfect. Yeah. Um, everybody who's and, cool and worth your right. fucking time. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm projecting a little, go ahead. No, that's, you're, you're, you're right <laughs> on the money. Um, so, so seeing people, even though like, you know, they're actors, but they were really, you know, getting the shit beat out of them by these professional fighters. It was great. Uh, and until like to this day, if any fighter has ever been on there, I just absolutely stand in like Bobby Green. Mm. Uh, you know, even though everyone's like really high on Rafael Fazia, if I was yeah. like, no, Bobby Green, Bobby Green, because of his appearance on Pulley Pete Down, he made a guy quit. It was just absolutely I sensational. I don't remember. I don't remember any fighters on it, honestly, because I wasn't following at the time. And I think I never connected the dots. Like of who I actually saw there and who's actually like still an active fighter. I didn't know Bobby Green was on it, but honestly, it tracks. Yeah, you can actually find a lot of the episodes on YouTube. Oh. I haven't really found them anywhere. Well, actually, I bought the first season on Amazon Prime, yeah. but the first season they were trying to figure out the format, so it's not as good. Um, but Bobby Green was fighting this bully who was like <laughs> this like fake white rapper. It was oh, hilarious. My God. And the way they did Bully Beatdown was that you had uh, a one five minute round of grappling. And then one five minute round of kickboxing. So they never actually did MMA because then the fighters would just take him down and ground and pound him to oblivion. Yeah. Um, but he does the grappling and Bobby Green slams this guy more than a few times and, and probably got like an arm bar or something. And just the guy didn't know where he was. Uh. And they got to him to the kickboxing round and he was just like, 
nope, I'm not doing it. That man is a weapon. <laughs> it says something like ridiculous <laughs> like that. And Bobby Green basically oh shamed God. him. He was like, you're not a man. This show should never have been made. Uh, it would never happen in 2021. I don't know how proud I am of how much I enjoyed it, but I absolutely did. Uh, I made a tweet once that I said that we should bring Bully Beatdown back, but instead of bullies, it should be Twitter trolls. That would and be a And Mayhem commented and he said, stay tuned. Oh, and no. I, just, like, I know. I mean, that was like over a year or two ago. So <gasps> I think at this point he was just kind of like, whatever. Or maybe there was maybe. something and it fell through, but I don't, I don't ever think. But just imagine. That would be amazing. I would, I would sign up. I've always wanted to have like a, a professional fight. Or an amateur fight. Or any fight, honestly. Like, even on the street, I have this secret desire to test my my skills in a real-life setting. Uh, At the same time, I'm pretty sure if I, like, kicked someone, I'd be, like, really guilty forever. So there's that. (laughs) Well, you have a good high kick. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I used to. I I don't know anymore. It's been a few months. uh, Dan Tom said that, and he's a very respected analyst. So if he says it, I stand by it. Oh, thank you. Yes, he has said that. And it's one of the best compliments I've ever... I I take it with me uh, forever. So you you were watching Bully Beatdown and got really into MMA. That was your gateway. That was my gateway. And from, from then I was kind of, uh, you know, that uh, that dirty word we like to throw around, a casual. Yes. I was casually interested in MMA for a few years. And then uh, I'll, this is my confession. I, I rode the Connor wave. Oh. Um, I, yeah, I know. That's um, intense. It is. Um, I, I saw a clip of him at a pre- press conference. Yeah. Um, when he was talking about like Cowboy being stuck in the mud and things like that and going after all those people. And I just was like, this is electric. Um, and then I kind of realized he's a terrible person. And so I became like enamored with watching him lose. Um, but from there, I decided to like, the once, once I saw 194, I, I just became like fully invested. What was, was 194? Like, I'm sorry. I have bad That was uh, Connor versus Jose. Okay. And, yes. Um, That's evil that, that that was your thing. But okay. <laughs> well, it was the whole event. It wasn't the the result. <laughs> you know, I, I actually am a I'm a massive fan of Aldo, and um, you know, at the time it was just like, what is this? I wasn't really sort of invested in either side, but mm-hmm. um, now I'm like really, really a big Aldo fan. Yeah. Um, but from there, I kind of binged Fight Pass and saw all the um, Ultimate Fighter episodes, and uh, became a big fan of Roxanne Modafferi and Michael Bisping, and that was kind of that was the real gateway into like you know, turning me into a, a hardcore fan that I would follow every sport because once I, once I saw Bisping, um, sort of on his tear to, to the belt, that was it. I was, I was hooked. I love that you said like Roxanne Modafferi and Michael Bisping, like they're the two most opposite. <laughs> Polar opposite. I could not have picked two more different people, but I think I've always had this like fascination with, with British people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then Roxanne was just like, I identified with her so much. Because she's and a I, nerd. I still do. I, exactly. Like, for, be, before I've, I I watched Roxanne, yeah. I, 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 everyone felt like a, like a Greek god or goddess mm-hmm. in terms of like physique and just like absolute like skill and everything. When I saw Roxanne, I was like, that's me. Yeah. The, the, there's no one more relatable. There is no one more human that I've seen so far. And, and that was, that was it. Did you not? Okay. Um, am I about to ruin Roxanne for you? Or do you know that she was like saying anti-Mex stuff on her Instagram? 
Uh, Anti-Massif, I did not know about. Or anti-vax. That is, that is interesting. I'm sorry I'll to ruin that all for you. pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> no, I <laughs> say this with a purpose because uh, first, I actually have always been a... a both uh, so this being fun fact, and this is an embarrassing admission for me because I don't have like many little like uh, action figures or whatever like with fighters, mm-hmm. but I do have a Bisping one because I oh. loved him. Like Leoto was my my gateway, as you know. But then like uh, Bisping was probably like the second like fighter that really really like captivated me i think because he's just he's a smart guy right that's obvious like we know this now but i think that he was kind of an asshole and he leaned into it but he always did it in a very like uh clever way i think right and then he uh, and then like in to me what ended up being a positively surprising pivot he's now like a kind of voice of reason on social media (laughs) I know it's been it's been crazy to watch. Like he still has like the one of the best lines in all of MMA history, in my opinion. When that post fight press conference before 199, when he beat Luke the second time, uh, well, their, their second fight when he beat him for the first time, um, when he says something like, "If you can believe that someone in the sky <laughs> made the Earth two thousand years ago, and it's such a, like basically like lighting the words like religious philosophies, is like if you can believe that." Then you can believe that I can knock Luke Rockhold out. <laughs> he yeah, uh, he has some some yeah, and that was another part of it too for me because he was always like very openly like I'm I've been a open atheist since I was like twelve, um, and he was one of the people and like I don't know if you've noticed Brazilian fighters think Jesus a lot for everything. I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing against that if uh jesus is their thing you do you like i've i was a bigger asshole about it i think even when i first started following mma i used to like be very much one of those like dockings like kind of people like super rational like being an atheist was like my full identity and i'm like i don't <laughs> believe in god but you do you <laughs> you do you um i'm actually looking yes the uh brooks and motiferi things were like an anti-vex thing and then some transphobic stuff um involving the trans athlete in the olympics and the reason i bring it up is not to make you feel bad about liking brooks and motiferi but um on a bigger level though as somebody i don't know i for one even though i work with mma I am also a fan of MMA. When I follow things as a fan, I personally like to have attachments. And that doesn't mean I idolize the people I'm watching, but that means that I like to feel personally connected or invested to them in some way for the experience to like be exciting for me. I know some people aren't like that. Rodrigo, for instance, he's like a sports fan. He likes, you know, the ball going in the net and the fast people running fast. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> his jam. Not very much my thing. The when fast I people it. running fast. The fast or Maybe the, your best line. Or the jumpy people jumping high, like, <laughs> or the divey people diving in twirlies. Like it's all, it's all like his jam. Not very much mine. Um, but we know with MMA, 
and not just MMA, right? A lot of things, but I sometimes, and this is a question that I've asked a lot of my guests, as you know, and that I struggle with knowing whether MMA really is worse than other things in that sense. But we are constantly, I think, in this situation where, you know, oh, I really like this fighter. I really identify with them. They are awesome. And then you go and see that they said something terrible or like, you know, just something that, hurts your morals or your beliefs and uh it's very complicated so i guess my question and that is like how do you how do you deal with that like balancing fandom with these moments of kind of like heartbreak i guess that's a great question and and for the record, I'm the same way you know I have to be emotionally invested i mean i don't have to be, but I like to be. Uh, I like to be really emotionally invested in in whatever I'm watching, at least on one side, mm-hmm. because I found that if my sadistic pleasure. I mean, I think if you watch, you know, sanctioned violence, you have to be like a special kind of person, um, anyway. Yes. But I think in my like sort of sadistic nature, um, if I don't like someone, I can relish in their demise, <laughs> which is pretty pretty bad. But I have relished on Greg Hardy's demise. I'll give you that. Oh, I don't usually. That fight to Ivasa knockout was. <laughs> but that was a, a that was a, a a beautiful moment. But sorry, that belongs in the Smithsonian. It Just does. Clip that and put that in the Smithsonian. It does. If that makes me a horrible person, I don't give a fuck. Uh, it really did. But sorry. So you're saying? No, that's okay. Yeah, it makes you a, a great person, in my opinion. Um, of course, I'm very biased. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Like Kevin Holland, for example, yeah. when he first got in the UFC, he like was very, very exciting fighter, very like dynamic personality, especially during the like COVID run when he had those like five fights in seven months or whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. Um, I said the COVID run, I mean like the pandemic, like throughout the, you know, the pandemic fights. And then he went on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is already like bad. I'm mean, not really bad, but like it can open you up to, to saying like problematic things. Mm-hmm. He said something that was like, basically he didn't think COVID was real. Like it yeah. was like, he was like, it was like a, fl- a flu at best or something like that or at worst, however that analogy works. And then he like, Joe Rogan was like, and I was even like sort of not proud of Joe, but kind of surprised that Joe would even like sort of question that. He's like, well, you didn't really have it bad. Like you, you were kind of asymptomatic. And, Ke- and Kevin said, yeah, but my girlfriend had it bad. And I was f***ing her the whole time. Like having sex mm. with her, and I was just like, "How can that even be consensual?" If she was like really bad COVID, like what? I just, I couldn't even fathom. So I just complete like I can flip the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So like before that, like right up to that moment, I was a massive Kevin Holland fan. I'm like, okay, I want to see this guy win. I want to see this guy fight Izzy for the belt. Let's go. And then once he said that, I was like, okay, now I wanted to lose all the time. And so that's how I kind of balance that with like, yeah, it does get exhausting, and it does get something to where you know you you have to kind of manage expectations you know with regards to the fighters but i I like to i like to if if i find that out i'll I'll just use that as motivation to root against them (laughs) (laughs) i sometimes i think yeah that that's a thing that happens like even if not consciously but subconsciously you're kind of not want to say that person is but sometimes and as you know, it's a little more complicated than that, right? Like, and that to me is the whole thing. For instance, mm-hmm. I'm, by the way, I was talking about the Mota Ferry thing. I don't want to like accuse people of something. I got literally two images from her Instagram stories. One was like a blatantly trans, uh, transphobic 
comments regarding the the athlete and the other one was a um like i'm actually gonna read it it's like a video a link to a video called we need to talk about the v word and immunity passports so i didn't watch the whole video i don't want to like accuse people of things uh randomly but um just saying that's and i got this in my dms because i think that's kind of mm -hmm. who I am to people like, Hey, this person did something problematic. Look at it. <laughs> Please stop sending <laughs> right. me sad. <laughs> Can I like things? I hadn't seen that. I don't follow her on Instagram because I, I don't want to follow people on Instagram because it would just ruin them for me. But, uh, I think for me, at least there's a lot of balancing like, okay, I have to understand that people are people and they aren't perfect. Um, and, you know, like that's on me for putting them on pedestals or expecting them to be like uh, bastions or whatever it is that I believe in. Or with, you know, holding people accountable when they are public figures who have a platform and they say things that can be actively harmful. And, 100%. Right? But that's such a tricky, it's easier, I guess, said than done. Um because in my mind, I'm always kind of like, and we have these conversations right now with everything, right? Like the whole quote unquote cancel culture thing, which is a term I hate using because it's been so weaponized. Uh, but then at the same time where you're like, okay, at to which extent is calling this person out uh, an act of accountability of holding them responsible for saying something or doing something harmful? And at which point is counterproductive? because we're just like working against ourselves by like basically piling on this person um, sometimes for things that vary in, in seriousness. Right. So to me, that's kind of like the struggle when I'm like dealing with these things or like answering these questions to myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it is by nature a bit of a contradiction. Like it's, it's hard to, to hold people accountable and also understand the human side of it. Like you said, like they're they're people and they have their own thoughts and opinions. It shouldn't necessarily hold them to your standards, but at the same time, you do want to maintain a level of like you know, like you said, using your platform to either spread misinformation or say harmful, problematic things, and and that's where it becomes like a, a balancing act. And I'll be honest, sometimes like it, it's a bit much for my brain to to wrap my mind around. Like I had people mention the the Roxanne stuff, and I was like. Uh, didn't see it. And then I just sort of immediately <laughs> out of my brain. <laughs> but we do that, right? That's the thing. It sounds terrible, but I do think we, all of us do that to a certain extent with some people in our lives, not just fighters, right? Actors, directors. Like, I feel like we have this inner sort of barometer or thermometer. I don't know. It, English is hard. The thing that measures things, a thing that measures things that are bad. <laughs> barometer. <laughs> yes. It's fair. Thank you. I do words for a living. Um, we, I think we all <laughs> have that. And we are willing to sort of be a little more flexible with certain people than we are with others. Like unconsciously. I'm not saying we do this consciously. Like it's, it's strange because when people ask, like I, I have a tendency to not be able to enjoy something that's by a person who I personally dislike. So that goes for everything. A lot of people are like, oh, Agreed. but you're going to stop listening to like Michael Jackson. Yes, I don't listen to Michael Jackson. Like I really don't because it like it irks me now knowing yeah. the shit we know, you know, like, and I forgive myself for not knowing it 10 years ago, but like now 
and people are going to say what they want to say and defend and accuse. But like my mind and my heart, like, no, it feels icky. I don't do it. And I have that with a lot of things. And then at the same time, I find myself kind of doing what you did with Roxy sometimes when you're just like, oh yeah, I didn't see it. And it's like, it's in the back of my mind. (laughs) Let it be there. Uh, It happened just this weekend uh, with Musasi because uh, we had Bellator and PFL events uh, happening simultaneously. It was it was Friday, right? Not Saturday. Friday. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Musasi won, and I think he's proved himself as one. He's proven himself as like one of the top martial artists, mixed martial artists of his generation. It's just amazing that he keeps continue like that he still competes at this level. And right before it, he said something about getting vaxxed. And he was like, yeah, I got vaxxed. Like, first of all, I wouldn't be able to move around if I didn't, but like, I believe in the science. And then I was like, oh my oh. God, that's our guy. I love him even more. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I didn't even see that. I'm so glad you said that. Okay, I love him. Okay, but brace yourself for the follow-up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it wasn't new. It wasn't new. So, and then I was, I read that and I was like, that's, that's cool. Because even though that's kind of like something that should be obvious, um, it's hard. It's rare for us to see a fighter say that. Right. And then like somebody resurfaced like old comments of his about like women fighting MMA. And he was talking about how he like, uh, I don't remember exactly. So I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it's something like people don't want to watch women competing in main events or something like that from like four years ago or something. It wasn't that recent, but still, and it just, it was very much, I I was in the same roller coaster that you're in right now. (laughs) That's a roller coaster indeed. (laughs) Oh, wow. And right. It's like, ah, let me like things, (laughs) but I can't. The internet ruins everything. It's interesting with Musasi because, I was just thinking about this after I watched his fight over the weekend. Um, When he was in the UFC, he was sort of like fighting for attention. Mm, And like, I remember I initially became a fan of his like immediately Uh during like a post fight, like backstage interview with Ariel Hawani after he fought. Talis Leitis, and um, he references fight with Lyoto, and I know he's your favorite, but he was saying something like, I want a rematch. He was greasing. And like, he just said all this <laughs> stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm here for it. And and they actually even like tried to promote him in that way for a while. Like During one of the, the European cards, I remember there was like a clip that came out on the UFC's YouTube page where he was just like reading dad jokes or something, and it was so dry and like corny, but it was so funny. I love your then, your Musasi voice, by the way. Those are good. That's one of my best impressions. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> his like very specific Dutch kind of nasally voice is like, yeah, I don't care. Like that <laughs> is <so> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. We're gonna put some like clapping effects or something. I'll have Jordan. Yes. I'll ask Jordan to hook us up with some effects there. But I was I was watching him fight in Bellator, mm. and it was so weird. First of all, they had um, Austin Vanderford on the desk the whole time mm-hmm. with a brace on his arm. <laughs> I mean, he was looking spooky yes. otherwise, but had that thing where he was like, oh, that's a training injury a couple of weeks. And I was just like, you're telling us this is the next guy and he's injured? Yeah. This is weird. And then they did that thing where they brought him into the cage, which I'm kind of not a fan of. It can go really well, yeah. but it can also not. 
And and, and in this case, like it didn't go bad, but it also like didn't go off like uh, really great because they were just like chilling. And I thought like now Musasi is like probably really well paid and, mm-hmm. and well respected and doesn't have to deal with like the UFC drama. Yeah. But that was good for his personality, I think, because he was just like, yeah, you look good and you're fine. Uh, let's go. <laughs> what are, like, just kind of like talking with Austin there. And I was like, come on, Musasi, say he's stupid or something. I, I don't know. I was like waiting. <laughs> I actually have like, I, I met uh, Musasi per- personally uh, when I was doing PR for the UFC. Mm. And he, we had, the, dude, it was the worst. I felt so bad for Musashi. I was doing PR and we were doing, he was, it was for the Lyoto fight, which happened in the south of Brazil in this tiny place called Jaraguá do Sul, which uh, I have been to three times because of the UFC. And like, that's three times more than I needed to go. <laughs> no offense to Jaraguá. It's just like a, pl- a very uneventful place. People were very nice. It, it was fine. I'm sorry, Jaragua. I don't mean to to trash you, but it was like a small a small place. And he went there for a media day because at the time we flew in a lot of the international main eventers um, to do like local media and stuff, right? Um, and we flew would fly them in for like a day or two, so it wasn't a long time. So we and he we were going to Rio afterward, and I was in charge of Musasi specifically. And so we flew him into this city that he probably had to take like three or four flights to get to because he was in Europe at, at the time. Get there. And it was like just so bad. Everything felt fall up, falling apart. Part of it was my fault. I scheduled something wrong. I was a terrible PR person. I was 21. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I would like a do-over. <laughs> <laughs> but long story short, I ended up being stuck with Musasi in this like small Brazilian town. Uh, I'll research how many people there are in Jaraguá do Sul for for uh, context, but because the airport wasn't even there, I think it was in a nearby city, and we ended up having like the afternoon of interviews canceled, and I had to like entertain Musasi for a day before we had our flight to Rio. And this is a guy who had flown a bunch, like probably running on in no sleep. And I take him to like this mall, this tiny ass mall. And we're just walking around the mall and he's inquiring about like very specific Brazilian things. We're like in this big department store and he's like, what is this? <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> like, what is this toy? <laughs> it's, like, it's, I don't know. It's a toy. It's a toy, Giger. <laughs> what kind of toy is it? <laughs> It was very much like that. And he had ice cream and he was like, I should not be having ice cream. <laughs> it was so far <laughs> away from his pipe. It's like, but I want ice cream. I'll have ice cream. And I'm just like, this to me, it sounds so mundane, but it was like, he was such a good sport about it. And he really is just funny in a very dry way. Like he'll say things very deadpan and you're not sure if you're supposed to like laugh or not but then you do and then he doesn't and then you think it's weird but then he laughs and you realize it really was a joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's my musashi story we flew to rio and then the biggest rain i think i've ever experienced in my time in rio um and i lived there basically my entire life hit and we also had to <laughs> cancel his stuff the next day <laughs> because oh, no. it was raining so much <laughs> We did like some afternoon stuff, but the big story we were supposed to do, we couldn't. And then he flew home. 
the poor guy. I felt so bad. <laughs> oh, wow. Multiple flights across multiple time zones <laughs> to eat ice cream in a mall and ask what a specific Brazilian toy is. I'm very sorry. Gager. <laughs> if you're listening oh, wow. to us, I'm sorry for everything that you had to go through on that trip. Uh, but all of this to say is that, uh, yeah, I like him. He was a very, he was very nice, very polite, funny, just like a, an interesting person to hang out with. Uh, but we went through all of that together. And he, now everybody knows this stupid Musashi story. Amazing oh. story. <laughs> but you at MMA, so you you ended up being a little over it for a while and you got back to it. But you still have like a whole non-MMA life, right? Like full-time job, everything else. MMA is pretty much just like a side thing for you. Yeah, it's it's sort of just my my hobby, my passion. Um, it it isn't um, anything that pays the bills for me, but it's something that I devote a lot of time and energy to. Mm -hmm. um, I spend my time when I'm not doing MMA acting in plays, and yeah. that sort of fulfills the other sort of creative outlet. But otherwise, it's mostly just MMA. And how do you? How does your like MMA consumption? Because you have to prioritize, right? Like, there's no way you can keep up with everything. But you're online all the time, and you're talking about all the MMA things. How do you do it? Uh, by just being obsessive. <laughs> okay. Basically, I mean, I that's like the great thing about Twitter is that it's it's sort of a, a news source and a, a forum at the same time. Like, you're able to just sort of talk with everyone and I, I like to keep up with the news cycle of most things going on in MMA. But when I dedicate time to, to watch on a, on a Saturday night, I, I only basically have time for the UFC. I, I watched the Bellator and PFL this weekend mm -hmm. out of a uh, lack of programming from the <laughs> UFC basically. Yeah. Um, but, and I keep up with sort of the goings on and I'll watch like highlights of the main events for like a, I didn't see it live, but I saw the um, McKee uh, Pitbull fight. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of stuff that I like to keep up with. But one of, one of the other things like too is, is treating it like a treat because since the UFC is weekly, like you kind of get used to it. Yeah. But if, if I, if I consume other MMA organizations, it, it won't feel as big in my opinion. Um, and then I'll also have less my wife isn't really an MMA fan. She oh, watches okay. sometimes like some of the big stuff. So that's the other thing is I kind of like, you know, the UFC is my time and then we'll have our time when the other organizations are doing their thing. So I'll kind of keep up with it, but I mostly just devote time to the UFC. Okay. And that's, I was actually listening. What was it? The Coleman event, uh, podcast. Um, I was listening to earlier today and been folks in Chad Dundas were talking about this, um, how kind of how like that was the smart, play one of the very smart plays of the UFC because it ends they it ends up having that kind of effect right just so we can keep up with everything that they're doing we need to prioritize and that means that the other promotions are necessarily like they kind of take up all the air of the space they were saying this in a much more elaborate and sophisticated and intelligent way of course but that's kind of like the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's one of the things, right? Apart from everything else, like economically and the business model and everything else, that really, they also like sort of ha hold that grip on our attention too. And I think that also has to do with a little bit of FOMO. Like yeah. you want to watch what everybody else is watching, right? You want to talk about what everybody else is talking about. 
I kind of have that feeling anyway. <clears throat> Especially, yeah, like, I agree. On social media and stuff, um, and you're you're very like you're a Twitter. You're much more in tune with what's going on on the Twitters than I am. The dramas. I, I'm constantly there. I <laughs> we're kind of like you're more Instagram, and so like I'll pop over to Instagram occasionally. Like, what's happening over here? No, no, I gotta go back. I'll go back to Twitter. <laughs> but mostly MMA Twitter, no? Or do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I have my my personal account, which has uh, been sort of like contaminated with uh, MMA Twitter, if, if I can say that uh, in a respectful way. Um, and I, but I use that to like follow like comedians and actors and things like that, but mostly just MMA Twitter. Um, although what I found with MMA Twitter is that, you know, if, if you don't turn certain like filters on or search, search keywords, you may miss out on like the MMA news cycle because MMA Twitter consists of a, a community of MMA fans that want to interact with people that share their same interests of, of MMA, but they don't always want to talk about MMA. Yes. Like people like talking about music and mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of like hip hop hot takes from MMA Twitter. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of beefing yeah, so, too, like internally. I know it is, it is absolutely insufferable in that regard, but it's one of those things that like, I just can't quit it. <laughs> It's one of those times when I feel like old though. Cause like I see a bunch of these people who are like a thing and, and like hashtag MMA Twitter and I've never heard of them. And that's no disrespect to them. That's more on me. Cause sometimes they actually have like a bunch of followers and hmm. the way I found out about them, I find out about them is because I read about some like drama going on and I'm like, okay, who, what's happening? Because that's just my personality. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who these people are. I have no investment in this, but I need to figure out what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, sometimes MMA Twitter becomes like a soap opera. It does. And in that regard, like sometimes I enjoy that aspect. Okay. You know, you don't have to like embrace that. You can sort of turn that off. But when if you do, it it is sort of like reality TV <laughs> that you read. You did say your wife is not that into... MMA. So how how does it's like is your Twitter like a, a like a separate life <laughs> that you have from your home life? Yeah, kind of. I mean, she's she's on Twitter um, a little bit, mm -hmm. but not really full, fully invested. Yeah, and and to be fair, like we we used to live in LA. Yeah, and we because of like the time of events there, like on the Pacific time zone. Um, we used to watch it more over there and like we, she would, she would go to events with me. Um, we've, we've been to uh, a couple of events, actually 199 mm -hmm. UFC at the forum and the same venue had uh, Bellator 170. And then we went to MSG and uh, the Barclays center out here. And she likes going to events, but it doesn't necessarily keep up. She's a big Rose fan, mm -hmm. um, big fan of Rose Nama Yunus. Um, she, she did the thing that I uh, did regarding Roxanne when you brought up the other stuff. Yes. <laughs> when I told her about the better red than dead, uh, she was like, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yes, we've, we've all been there. No, no shame in our denial game. A little bit of shame, yeah. maybe, but <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of shame, but shame is healthy. Yeah. I get, we talked about this extensively when, uh, Sam, uh, Southpaw Sam was on the show, but I guess, so she yes. did a little bit of that. But she stayed a Rose fan in her yeah, heart. Yeah, like hearts. that actually, uh, I was enamored with Sam in that episode. And like the way he unpacked that whole situation yeah. with Rose, because like 
I was kind of blindsided by the the clips and the things that were popping around mm-hmm. about Rose, and I was like, "This can't be! This can't be true! This can't be a thing!" And then the way he unpacked it and saying that he kind of saw red flags earlier, yeah. I was like, "Damn!" Just just the way it was laid out, I was like, "Okay." Yeah. And I can literally remember um, my wife has like an event rental business. Okay. And uh, we were at an event the night of of was it two sixty one whenever whenever she um, fought Wei Li. Um, we're watching it on my phone in the car, like waiting. And I was like, ah, I hope Waylay wins. She was like, babe, stop. We're rooting for Rose. <laughs> I was like, as a household, it's okay if we're like a little divided. Oh yeah. It but, happens uh, here sometimes too. Do you ever root against Tony? I know that's like Rodrigo's favorite. <sighs> have the I... Charlotte's fight must've been hard. I have in the past, but like, that's the thing. It's hard. <laughs> It's hard to, and Tony is also, and that's the thing we were talking about, right? Like Tony has also done, like, I think in this case it's different because it's like more of a, a mental health related thing, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do, I like him a lot. I think he's just so weird and I like weird in many ways. Same. But I do like when, uh, I was here when Tony fought RDA, um, it was my first time in Mexico city, uh, Years ago, I was working for Junkie. Obviously, I had, I I wasn't uh, friends with with Rodrigo. Like I, I kind of knew who each other were. He says we had met in Vegas. I don't remember, but um. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, husband. Uh, but <laughs> we, uh, yeah. So I was here for that, and of course, like I was, I was rooting for RDA, and then RDA became a staunch defender of Bolsonaro. So how the Ooh. world turns. <laughs> Mm, the theme. <laughs> I like that the theme of this episode is like, don't like things, don't like yes. people. They will disappoint you. But I get in the Rose thing though. Like I was a very big Rose fan because, and I think for the same reasons as a lot of people, just the fact that I think it really started with when she beat Joanna, right, and she had that speech, and she was so vulnerable, and she talked about mental health and things that I feel like it's getting better. We're talking a little bit more about this um, collectively, but that, you know, it's still taboo in MMA. I think there's, and you know, you've heard me talk about this before. There's a bit of a disconnect, I think, between like understanding consciously and subconsciously that fighters are human. I feel like sometimes we don't really connect yeah. <laughs> the, the dots there. Um, and I, I was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I started like really getting into it. And that's kind of what we talked about with Sam, right? And I think that that's what um, a lot of people focused on. And we're not wrong to focus on that. We all have our causes and our things that, you know, draw us to certain people. Uh, but he was looking at it already through a different lens that we we're not. So it's kind of like that's how why I like hearing that kind of perspective uh, that people like him bring, just so we c- can understand things a little differently. But uh, since we're on the subject, I wanted your thoughts on on something related to that because recently, I think it was a couple of days ago, but I again I only saw this today. <clears throat> Zhang Weili, I don't know if you saw this. She um, talked about how seeing white men. Um, Weidman's very bad injury, um, the same, because they fought in the same night. Um, Mm -hmm. And she talked about how she touched gloves with him. And this is a translation, by the way. So, like, I don't know how reliable it is, but that's the 
translated version I wrote from the South China Morning Post, uh, quoting the South China Morning Post. And she talked about like, she said good luck to him. And then he went out and his leg snapped like that. And like she said that she felt her mind maybe wasn't completely focused on the match. And like you, she said, I wasn't as focused. This is a quote from... Uh, the, sorry, you can't lose focus for even 0.01 seconds. No, no, it's that cruel. And of course, a lot of people, I saw a lot of people just being like, queen of excuses. That's like wilder level of excuses, things like that. And I wanted to get your opinion on it, uh, since I know mental health is also something, a subject that's dear to your heart. Like, I guess, how, do you it do is. you think that it is understandable that, that, that Jung went through these things before walking out to a fight? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I have been sort of trying to digest that um, that quote mm. for for the last couple of days since I saw it. And um, you know, when, when it comes to to fighters who who don't speak English or don't speak a ton of English, mm-hmm. I always have to kind of take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt because, like you said, the translation something gets lost in translation. Or oftentimes, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard some people say that uh, very often Whaley speaks through her manager. Okay. Um, and that can have sort of the Valid effect <laughs> a little bit. Um, and so I was kind of like, well, I, I'm not entirely sure because a lot of the post post fight comments immediately were made by him, like not just, you know, through him fly by her, like by him. Um, and so, you know, you never really know what it, what it is, but, but let's take it as fact for a second. Yeah. And, Thinking, going back to what you said about accepting fighters are human and then not letting them do human things, the disconnect is always something I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with because one of the things I think that we, we enjoy watching MMA is because they're doing like superhuman things. Yeah, the, you know they are you know enduring a ton of punishment and causing a ton of punishment. You know something that we can't even wrap our minds around. You know as just fans. And so when, when they do slip up, it's like, we, we love to build people up and then tear them down. Yeah. And imagine for a second that she's backstage, see someone, you know, uh, a fighter, Chris Weidman in this case, touches gloves with him, says, go get him, whatever. And then in 16 seconds, his leg snaps off. And that, if I'm not mistaken, was like the first fight on the main card or was not that far from her. You know, she maybe didn't have time to process it or, or shake it off. Yeah. So it, it's it's very real. And it's it's something that shouldn't be just like, you know, said as an excuse. I mean, excuses are one of those things that I kind of take with a grain of salt anyway, anyway because sometimes you're just telling the truth. Sometimes you, they're just, you know, allowing us in. Like we, we can't uh, what demonize people for for giving quote unquote excuses because it's it's often just an explanation of what's happening. We want them to let us in, mm-hmm. and so we can't. The moment they do let us in, yes. criticize them and say, "Oh, oh, you're oh, you're weak. You're this," and you know, it's it's something that a lot of fighters have talked about. Like you know, Anthony Pettis saw his brother. I mean, it's family member, so it's different. But you know, Anthony Pettis saw his his brother get knocked out the, the night he fought RDA, I believe. Yeah. And it, it shook him. And it's, it's a, it's a very real phenomenon. You know, I'll, I'll give a, a quick anecdote about the, the glove touching is reminding me. So I was at, uh, I was at UFC 265 a couple weekends ago in Houston and, uh, Ode Osborne versus Manel cop was yeah. a, a fight on the prelims. Um, 
I was rooting for Manel Cop okay. because I, I I liked his fights in Ryzen. I think he's a cool guy mm-hmm. and he's ex, he's an exciting fighter. And then we're sitting in front of, or they're sitting in front of us, we're sitting behind them, uh, people that are either like very supportive of, of O'Day Osborne yeah. or they're just like sort of related to him. I, I wasn't sure, but they were championing him hard. And it just filled me with this like different energy. Also, I was very high, um, <laughs> but I was just so engaged in them being like, so smart. Like whenever the, uh, whenever Bruce Buffer was like fighting out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, they were just like, go books. And they, they were so cheering. Yeah, I literally like, I switched my pick like in my mind. I was like, <laughs> I want him like because it would be happy for them. Yeah. And I I, I went like I, I tried to start like a chant. I was in the audience. I was like, let's go, oh date. You know? And then he loses or back up after that, after me trying to start the chant, which didn't go off, one of the one of the guys from that group <laughs> turns around and like I know, right? Um they, he he uh, gives me a fist bump, oh. and uh, we kind of had this moment, and then he lost, and I just got so sad. Oh, no. I'm like here I was, like not even twenty minutes ago, picking against his opponent, and now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's it's it'd be like that sometimes, you know. So to 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 accept that Wei Wei Li could have been shaken from uh, uh, having a moment with Weidman and seeing him lose, yeah, I believe that, right? Because that's the thing, and it is it is a you have to reconcile certain things. Like they're, uh, these are high level athletes. Of course they are prepared to deal with things, um, in a way that a lot of us maybe aren't. Uh, I for one have to always like contain my projection. Cause I'm always like, I would never like be able to do. And I'm like, that's why I'm not a fighter. <laughs> I know. This isn't about me. <laughs> like, no. Uh, but at the same time, like, and understand all of that. And at the same time, understand the human aspects of it. And one thing, Ed Evans, um, who used to do PR for the UFC, who was a guest on well, actually. And um, mm-hmm. he had a sub Go throw Michael Bisping's book. Yeah, Coral, Coral Michael Bisping's book. Um, and he had a series on like uh, fear, fear in the cage. I think was the name, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he talked a lot about this, like that the idea that fighters are aren't afraid is a fallacy. It's a lie. Of course they are, but then you reconcile that with at the same time people they're not gonna like give up on a fight halfway through or like not fight on an opponent because they're afraid of them. Like in my mind, like that's what I'm always trying to like, not in my, in my writing and everything, like trying to unpack and reconcile. Like you can't understand that these are people who are trained and who do have sort of like superhuman levels of resilience, both mentally and physically, but who at the same time are human. And then that's one of the moments where you kind of see that, right? Like, oh, I saw a horrible thing that could happen to me. I always think about that, like with say F1 drivers, Because we see like people Mm. witness horrible crashes and then they go back. Like one example that I can think of now was when Groshan's car like caught on fire and he, it could have been terrible. He was okay, fortunately. Um, And then, you know, the 
race, they clean it up, it takes a few hours, and the race resumes. And what I always wonder is what's going on in these people's heads, because of course they know they can die in any race. Like that's a knowledge that you need to have when you're in a sport like Formula One, when so many, like if a thing goes terribly wrong, it goes really fucking terribly wrong. As safe as it is now versus what it was 20 years ago still, right? So they, of course, they're trained and they have that conscious knowledge of the stakes, but it's one thing to have that conscious knowledge and it's one thing to witness the stakes uh, right in front of you. And of course, like, I can't imagine not being shaken by it. And like you said, you don't really, maybe she didn't really have time to process it. And yeah, it's an excuse in the sense that you can look at it like, oh, she's taken away from the merits of her opponent. Um, But at the same time, it's just an explanation. And I agree with you that I don't think, I think people want, like you said, want to be let in and want to hear because we ask. And then when we get, when we get it, we're like, no, no, that's, that's not good enough. No, I don't want that. I want you to like, just. (laughs) You can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, let us in, be be honest, and then say, well, well, don't be too honest. Like you can't control the level of honesty you get. Uh it, it's it's mind-boggling. And it actually when you're talking just now, it reminded me of your piece on the athletic uh with the fighter surveys on fear. Mm. Wasn't it something like 87% of fighters said they were scared before a fight or something like that? It was a pretty really high number, and there was like hundreds of fighters interviewed. Like that's a real thing that we have to accept. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't have the numbers here, but yeah, the survey was like very much, we asked how, like what the fighters, we asked 170 fighters, I think were the, what's the final number from like several promotions, weight divisions, yada, yada, like what they, um, what they were afraid of uh, when they entered the cage. And it was, sobering to hear certain things that we know to be true. Like something I'm afraid of life, like a career changing injury. I'm afraid of a fighter, like, you know, suffering something that won't allow me to fight anymore. And you're like, that's sobering. Cause of course you should be afraid. That's fucking terrifying. Uh, I have the survey here. Yeah. So like, The greatest fear about fighting in general, like most of the fears, like the majority was performance related. And then in second place, it was injuries and health uh, fears. Performance related, like being really bad at it. (laughs) Yeah. Like having one fight and it was everything from like being embarrassed because that's that to me was like the most striking thing, to be honest, when they talked about being afraid of embarrassment. Because can you imagine... Like I couldn't. You're doing something that is so public and that yes, it can be a lot of embarrassing things can happen. Uh and they can be replayed forever. <laughs> like you can be someone's highlight reel. One hundred percent. It always when whenever I'm watching a fight and I'm watching like someone maybe lose badly, I'm always reminded of like just like my experience in life, my world of acting, mm-hmm. like when, when you get like rejected as an actor, it is a rejection of like your body and like who you are as a person, because that's what you're bringing to the, to the role. Like fighting in that way is very visceral. Everything is stripped down. Yeah. You are like 
half naked in a cage and you're fighting another human being and, it, and it's like a physical manifestation of yourself. So when they're taking a bad beating, like I can imagine that fear is very real. Yeah. And then I remembered something that Julie Ketsy said, uh, cause she was like, it was actually the thing I used for the title of the Q and A I did with her. Cause she, she said, uh, one of the things that she had to learn, um, after her career was over, because she had some losses, right? And some very public losses was that embarrassment isn't shame. And that really mm. stuck with me. Cause I was like, it really, that's, it really isn't right in anything. Like it doesn't have to be. But at the same time, I'm like, fuck that. Imagine doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful quote. Embarrassment isn't shame. Yeah, because it was very much like that. Like, yeah, I've been like embarrassed in public, but that doesn't need to define things for me, you know? And that to me was like, ah, uh, that's some next level enlightenment, Julie. Like, I aspire to Someone that. told me once that embarrassment is a waste of time. That it like is something that you put on yourself that no one else puts it on you. And I'm like, uh, I can I can identify with that, but at the same time I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard but still like i i feel like that's i admire too acting to me it's very terrifying too like are you are you nervous are you anxious like before going on stage or whatever well it's like anything you have to sort of take those nerves and and make them work for you rather than against you because you should be nervous about doing something like that because people have paid money to come see you uh, and like took time out of their day. They've maybe got a, a nanny, uh, or something like that. But, and you, and you want to do the best because it, it can set up your next gig in a sense. So everything is like, you're always auditioning. You're mm -hmm. always trying to put forth your best effort, but I've learned to, it's like, accept the things you can't control mm. and control the things you can. Yeah. Like, just sort of, I can control me. I can do the best that I can and be present and whatever will happen will happen. And there's nothing I can do to change that. So I've kind of just put it out there. And that's the energy I really bring to, to podcasting and talking about MMA too. Is like, I can just be me. I can be uniquely myself. Mm -hmm. Like I always go back to this Saul Williams quote that I kind of try and live my life by, which is like, I don't give people what I think they want to hear. I give them a piece of me in hopes that they can relate to it. And that's yeah, what I do. That's a, an amazing quote. And I think consciously it makes a whole lot of sense. And I think like even by demonstration, right? Like if you think about the things that are successful, like the products that are successful in anything or personalities that are successful, I think a lot of that, their success has to do with that intangible thing, right? Because you can have all the elements of a person that's going to resonate with a large audience and it not happening. And you can have a person who really doesn't necessarily fit a profile and those, or who like doesn't fit a previous profile and then ends up creating a new one, but like who you don't necessarily think are going to be big names or whatever in whatever else. When I say personalities, I mean public personalities that can really be about anything from mm -hmm. like YouTubers to singers or whatever. And I think a lot of what makes them successful is exactly what you're saying, like truthfulness and right. Like, and especially yeah. in MMA, I think that's why she takes like Colby's 
don't really stick that well because people can see through it. And then you have a guy who, okay, let's now things have changed. Obviously, we can do a whole episode on the the weird journey of Jorge Masvidal, but who two years ago, oh <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> well, like two, three years ago, like was very big, and I think it was because of exactly what you're saying. Like this didn't didn't feel like a person who was rehearsing or who was um, necessarily trying to give us something he thought we wanted but who was doing something authentic and then you kind of relate to that. Yeah, he was he was always like that, but he didn't really show it. He just became more willing to to do interviews and and do media and you know, and I think that's when it became because I I remember f- like kind of sort of like falling in, not falling in love with but falling in love with him as a fighter like uh being a fan of his when he did an interview with Ariel like I want to say like 2015. Yeah, I think he was still fighting at lightweight. Mm-hmm. And the like him, him talking about his experience in the backyard fights with Kimbo and some of the stuff he did in Bodog and just his whole career, he was being so authentic. And he was saying like, like it was even well before the whole three piece in a soda, he, he was saying how he would get into fights in, in Miami. And he was like, I developed a good sucker punch. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, that's bad, right? That's like, <laughs> you're like giving someone a cheap shot. He's like, no, but if I don't do it first, like they're going to do it to me. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. That's I, I remember because I did a lot of like transcribing for MMA Junkie Radio. Um, and I did a lot of writing the stories based on their interviews. And Jorge was there a few times and he had all these quotes. And I remember thinking at the time, like, why are why are people just not more interested in this guy? Like he says the wildest shit, but he says it in like <laughs> such a cool way. And like somebody who wasn't thinking about it before this interview, right? Like it comes out and that's just part of like, it just, he seems very authentic. And then I feel like people caught on to it a few years later. And then, um, yeah, then. <laughs> and then he showed his ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Then things took a uh, several turns. It took a right turn. It took a hard right yeah. turn. Uh, before we wrap it up, since we were talking, I just wanted, I found a quote that I thought was really good from the survey story. Uh, I always talk about the survey. I can't help myself. It was just so cool. Uh, it's iconic. <laughs> but it says, uh, a UFC fighter said, my greatest fear, it's being damaged to the point where I can't fight again. Like major brain damage or some kind of freak accident that takes me out of this forever. I'm scared of that because I don't have anything else. I don't know what I would do. And uh, that's pretty fucking sobering. To like, I know it's 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 like the most honest anyone can be, and I would bet if if fighters read that piece, you know they would maybe examine themselves and and if they hadn't been thinking that, then maybe they think, yeah, maybe I do feel that way. Yeah, but it was behind a paywall. So <laughs> who knows how many people read it? That's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, well, not to. We can go get into the whole paywall system in uh, this show because we've been talking forever. So uh, not that I'm against it. I'm just saying that I sometimes like think that I don't know if they open it up eventually, uh, but I was like, oh, man, it's just a shame because I feel like a lot of uh, fighters could read this and maybe maybe seeing some of their own opinions mirrored uh, on paper by so many of their peers uh, yeah. who were felt comfortable enough to say things uh, with anonymity. Like maybe this could be a helpful thing toward like unity and things, but 
who knows? Uh, the world is uh, boiling and we'll all die soon. I guess that's the, <laughs> the conclusion <laughs> here. Uh, on that very cheerful note, Juice, I've been keeping you forever. Uh, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you want uh, my listeners to watch, listen to, read? Yeah, just a few uh, quick things. Um, so I wanted to to say that I'm just so grateful to to Fanbyte for for giving you a platform and that the, your writing is so uninhibited now. I really, really love it, especially the the one of the best things I've read from anybody. That Diego Garijo interview just blew my mind. Aww. Absolutely loved it. What? So I want to plug that. If everyone anyone hasn't read that, go check out uh, Fernandez's uh, story on Diego, um, and then. Uh, if you've enjoyed anything I've said, um, you can hear more of it uh, at the Friendly Sparring Podcast, which is available on all platforms. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Friendly Spar Pod. And if by chance any of your listeners are interested in movies, um, maybe some crossovers from you love to see it, um, I'm starting a new podcast with a friend of mine where we're going to review bromance movies. Oh, so. amazing. Do you already have like... Yeah, so we're we're gonna do a, our first episode is gonna be on I Love You Man. Oh, I love like that the movie. Quintessential like romantic comedy. It's literally structured just like a romantic comedy. They have a mute cute, they have a falling out, they have all mm -hmm. these things and it culminates, but it's about their friendship. And that's so we kind of like dissected that and like what if we take other movies that are just like about platonic male friendship and create a whole like podcast about it and that's what we're doing. So with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel, no? Yes, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I am in, I don't know if romance is like a problematic thing now in 2021. Is it? I don't hmm. think so. I don't think so. I mean, I trust it, you it not to make it problematic. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can guarantee that. <laughs> I trust you to approach this <laughs> in a cool way. Uh, do you know when it's going to be out or not yet? Um, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, you know, we're, we're going to record a few episodes this week and then it'll just be a matter of uh, getting it out there for the masses. Awesome. So everyone, listen to that. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I'm giving it my stamp of approval before even listening. That's how much I trust it. Oh, you're so <laughs> Thank you again, just for being here today. Thank you, everyone at home for listening. Thank you, our amazing producer uh, slash editor, Jordan, for producing slash editing slash being my therapist sometimes. Comes with the territory. Thank you. Um, what, are, what random person are we thanking today, Juice? You can pick can pick one. Oh, uh, let's thank, uh, Chris, um, Chris Evans. We're thanking Chris for, Evans. That's a good pick. For existing. He's wholesome. We like him. Yeah. Right? Hasn't anything Very wholesome. wrong. Wholesome. Has a cute dog, if I'm not mistaken. Very cute dog. Yes. So thank you, Chris Evans, <laughs> too, for being you. Uh, this has been the best <laughs> camp of my life. I will see you all next week.